Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us to the feast, that you have invited us to the altar today to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be here today in faith, that you would teach us to listen, to trust, and to follow, to come here on your terms of grace and mercy and not try to impose our terms upon you. Now, Lord, we pray this day that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you wear to a wedding? If you were paying attention to the gospel reading this morning, you know this is a rather important question when it comes to the kingdom of God. What do you wear so that you are not kicked out of the kingdom and kicked out of the wedding feast? I have a very good friend. His name is is Mike. He's a very dear friend of mine. He and his wife, Rachel, have been friends of ours for years. Uh, They're very close to us. In fact, we spend Thanksgiving with them every year. They're just great and dear friends of ours. Uh, But Mike, I'll never forget what Mike wore to my wedding. When Mike came to my wedding, he wore this very nice dark gray suit with a white press shirt underneath. It was very nice. Uh, And then a sort of this palish gold tie, a very pretty colored gold tie that he wore to my wedding. And, and it doesn't sound like it would stand out to you, but I will never forget what he wore because as it turns out, I wore the exact same thing to my wedding. Uh, what's more, all of my groomsmen wore the exact same thing to my wedding, and Mike wasn't a groomsman. Uh, he just happened to wear that. He didn't call ahead. He didn't check. He just decided he wanted to wear that. So I always give him a hard time, and we always kind of laugh about this, and I say, you know, listen, Mike, uh, next time just tell me you want to be in the wedding party. Not that there will be a next time, let's be very clear on that. Uh, But uh, we do see here uh, how funny this kind of is, and so we all laugh. But I guess Mike just kind of wanted to dress like someone who belonged at the wedding. Well, that's what our parable is about today, isn't it? Dressing like someone who belongs at the wedding feast. Jesus is telling us another parable today about the kingdom of God and how things work in the kingdom of God, and I guess how you should dress in the kingdom of God. And it is yet another parable, but as you've, if you've been ta- uh, paying attention over the last number of weeks, you've noticed we've had a lot of parables, and they haven't really been the most comforting things you've ever heard. There's a lot of difficult sayings that Jesus has in these parables, and today is one that is especially hard uh, for us to deal with. Now, a lot of times when we talk about parables, we try and come up with some useful or, or helpful definition about them, and we'll describe them as sort of this. We'll say, well... They're earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And that sounds very nice, and that sounds very safe. But let's be honest. When it comes to Jesus and his teachings, he is anything but nice and safe. Nice and safe, these are sort of lame ways to talk about Jesus and his ministry. And far from being nice and safe, today's parable is a parable about the judgment that will come upon those who reject the Son of God. So we are not here today hearing a parable that gives us nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. But it is a parable that should drive us to repentance. It is a parable that ranks among those that makes us the most nervous. And in fact, I think we hear this parable very often. And it makes us nervous even about our own salvation. You hear the parable today and you want to know, what does the garment represent? How do I know if I'm wearing the wedding garment? Where do I buy this wedding garment? What do I have to do to make sure I don't get kicked out of the wedding feast? Get kicked out of the kingdom of God. 
And though these are all perhaps valid and important questions for us to ask in light of this parable, it's not exactly where the parable takes us. This is not exactly what the parable should drive us to ask. And so uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this parable, and we're going to see what Jesus is getting after in this parable. Now, we should already know this, that whenever Jesus speaks, what he's after really is you, and he is after your heart. And so the question really today is, what does Jesus want to give us in this parable, and what is he calling us to in this parable? So let's break it down, let's walk through it, and see if we can't get some answers here today. So so Jesus tells this parable, and it's this parable about a king who is throwing a party. He is throwing a feast for his son and his son's bride, for there is a wedding. The prince has taken a princess, and it is time to celebrate. So he lets everybody know who he has invited, uh, these great dignitaries and wonderful people, to come and celebrate his son and the bride. But they all ignore the invitation. This king is relentless. He will have his son celebrated. And so he sends out messengers again. And they come with news of a great party. He says, listen, tell them the menu. We've slaughtered the fattened calf. We've got the greatest foods, the finest of cheeses and wines. It's all laid out. It's going to be an incredible, epic party. Tell them to come. And the response to the invitation? Well, the servants were either ignored or they were violently treated and killed. See, it's, a very, it's not a fun thing to be a messenger in one of Jesus' parables. Like, you don't want to sign up for that job. You're going to get killed. But this is what happens. So they bring shame. They bring shame upon the messengers, but what's more, they bring shame upon the king, and they bring shame upon his son. And so the king is angry, and he acts in justice. He sends out his troops, And they go to those cities where these people dwelt, and they burn them to the ground. See, it's not like a a nice parable today. So what's going on here? Uh, Up to this point, I think the the teaching here in the parable is rather obvious, especially if you've been following along uh, for the past number of weeks. Once again, Jesus is giving us what we might call a parabolic history lesson of what's gone on in God's relationship with his people Israel. And he's showing us here how throughout the history of Israel, God has sent prophets to bring the news of repentance and forgiveness to his people to call them back to him. And they have always tended to uh, uh, respond with either indifference or violence. And the same thing was happening in Jesus' day. Now the sun has come. It was time to celebrate the wedding feast. The party was there. The, the, The prince was about to marry his bride, the church, and everyone was being gathered to celebrate. But these leaders either ignored it or will treat it violently as they will soon kill Jesus. And so, I believe that when Jesus says here that the king is angry and he sends in his troops to burn down the cities, I think we can make a pretty good case. Jesus is telling us here what's about to happen to Israel. For in AD 70, Rome is going to come in and they're going to destroy the temple and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. And I think Jesus' parable today is a warning that end so again it's not a nice parable it's a parable of judgment in god's wrath upon those who are rejecting his son the parable goes on because you see the king will have his party the king will have his son celebrated so what does he do he gathers more messengers together and he sends now listen go out wherever you can go And start gathering people into the feast. Start gathering anybody you can find and start bringing them in. So they go to the highways and they go to the byways. And they start calling all the evil and all the good people that they can find. And I mean, they're going everywhere. 
They're going to the alleyways and they're going to the mansions. They are going to the college campuses and they are going down to the grocery stores. They are going to uh, the think tanks for both conservative and liberals. They're going even to the halls of the politicians and into the streets with the rioters. And they're calling everybody into the feast. They're inviting everybody to come and celebrate this son. It's going to be a party and the king will have his son celebrated. Even if it's by both the evil and the good. So the question is, what qualifies people to come to the wedding feast? Earlier in the parable, the king says uh, that those whose cities were burned to the ground, they were unqualified. So why is this new group of people, what is it about them that qualifies them? Well, the answer is nothing. There's nothing about these people that qualifies them. The king simply wants to have the party, and so he invited them. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. You don't get in because you've earned it or you've deserved it. You get in because the king has chosen to invite you. It is his kingdom, after all. And it's up to him who gets to be in here. And now that sort of statement makes us awfully nervous because that starts taking us down this road of of election and God's predestination and his eternal will and all this stuff. And it makes us very nervous because we find out that we have no control over this, but God is the one who is in charge from beginning to end, from beginning to eternity, we might say. God is in charge of who is saved. And so we get rather nervous. But fear not, dear friends, for lo and behold, the reason you're here today is because he's chosen you. The reason you have gathered into this place is because in the water of your baptism, God placed the invitation. And now today, has you gathered here so he might invite you to a foretaste of the feast to come as he gives you the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the sacrament. You see, the Father has gathered you. The Father has called you and invited you and chosen you to be here today to know the good news that His Son is your Savior. And after all, isn't His Son the whole point? His Son, you see, is the focus here. He is the one who is to be worshipped and glorified. In fact, it is His Son who has made the invitation possible for you when He took your sins and died for you on the cross. It is His Son who has set a table for you, a place for you, I should say, at His table. So that you're here today, not because you are evil and good, you are, or good, you are welcome, not because of anything about you, but simply because the Father will have His Son worshipped. And He's invited you to take part in this party. And so it's going to be a pretty good time. You guys look like a fun group of people, you see. This is going to be a fun party with all sorts of both good and evil sinners gathered here together. It's going to be quite a celebration. But the question now is, what do you wear? What do you wear to a party like this? And apparently the question does matter a great deal because as the king comes into the celebration for his son, he looks around and he sees everybody having a great time, but he fixates on one guy. One man who is apparently dressed inappropriately. And the king approaches him and he says, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. So the king says to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So again, now we're back to our question. What do we do with this? How do we make sure we're wearing the wedding garment? How do we ensure that we are both called and chosen? 
And so if you uh, have to preach on such things, you go to commentaries to try and figure these things out. You go to Bible commentaries and you try and figure out what is the wedding garment? Where does this come from? What does it mean? And you know what? For every 15 commentaries you look at, there's 30 answers, okay? Everybody seems to know what the wedding garment represents. But actually, it's the wrong question. Because upon closer examination, Jesus isn't going to tell you what the wedding garment represents. And the question really isn't, what does that mean? The question is, what does it mean to show up without the wedding garment? What does it mean to come into the celebration of the Son and be dressed inappropriately? The fact of the matter is, what Jesus is getting after here today is that this person who is sort of singled out in that party has shown up in a fashion, that's, a, that's an intended pun, he shows up in a fashion that actually dishonors the Son. He's come to the wedding on his terms. He's come to the wedding feast to bring attention to himself, to take advantage of the situation, to use the son to his own ends, but he does not want the son on his terms. And we get this not by looking at Bible commentaries, but by going back through the Gospel of Matthew. And as you look at Matthew, you'll find that there's two types of people who approach Jesus. There are those who come to him in need and prayerfully, uh, begging for something, and those are the ones celebrating at the wedding feast. But there are those who come to Jesus in opposition to him. They oppose him. He comes claiming to be the Messiah, and they say, he's no Messiah. That's not the kind of Messiah I want. I want a Messiah who's going to serve me in my way, who's going to build up my kingdom, not tell parables about it being destroyed. I I want Jesus to work on my terms the way I want him to work. And so I'll show up and I'll be present, but I'm going to draw all this attention to myself. And I'm going to work against the Son. So they try to get Jesus to work on their terms. But you see, such dress is a one-way ticket to the sorrow and anger that exist outside the kingdom of God. For you see, God is the one here, after all, who is in charge. This is His Son He will have celebrated, and you will receive His Son on His terms. You cannot have Jesus in any other way than how Jesus comes to you. And Jesus is only worshipped and he's only loved and he's only served as the one who comes to die on a cross for sinners. Not as the one who will come and fulfill their every desire. Jesus comes, you see, to forgive sins. Not to encourage us to pursue our idolatrous and self-serving desires. Jesus comes to rise from the dead, uh, to undo the power of death, and to make all things new. Not to encourage us to continue on in our death-bound self-actualization projects. Jesus has come, and He is after you and your heart so that He might forgive you, so that He might bring you new life, so that He might call you to repent and to believe and to join the celebration. If you don't want him that way, if you want him to do something else, if you prefer a different kind of Jesus, if you want God apart from his word, if you want to pursue God apart from Christ the crucified one, that is, if you think you're going to find a back way into the party wearing whatever you want and drawing all the attention to yourselves, well, you are going to find a very unfriendly escort into a dark, sad, and angry place. For God has not invited you here to make a scene about yourself He has not invited you here so that you can disregard and disrespect His Son on your terms. But make no mistake, He has invited you. 
And now He has gathered you here. And in fact, He has clothed you with the proper wedding garment in the water of your baptism. That is, He has covered your sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. And now He has invited you to rejoice and celebrate over the eternal salvation and gift that He has given you in His Son. And it is quite a party. So today, again, repent of your terms and receive the good news that God has chosen to gather you here to forgive your sins and to give you a seat at His table. So today, come to that table for all things are prepared. And Jesus Christ is here for you. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, forgive us for our indifference to Your Word. Forgive us for trying to use and manipulate Your Word to our ends. Lord, forgive us for being sinners. But we thank You that You have sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners, to invite sinners into His party and to celebrate with Him for all of eternity. Father, we pray that we would heed Your call and we would repent and believe this good news of all that Jesus has done for us. In His name we pray.